Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Brazil. This is a show where we get to talk about sports, we get to talk about business, and we get to talk about everything in between. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, you know what to do. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Five-star review on Spotify. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate each and every one for doing that here for me, but more importantly for my special guest today, I have Lauren Ammon. She's collegiate Division One swimmer, former, I don't know, do we say former? Uh, we'll get into that later. At Eastern Michigan, she's also the founder of Performance Reimagined. Lauren, how are you doing today? I am doing so well. And as a joke, when you say former swimmer, I, I've, I've adopted the, the phrase, I'm a swimmer. Swimmer. I like that. That's good. My wife uh, is a swimmer then. I, I really appreciate that. That's going to yes. be a fun one. I'm going to actually put that down in the notes. Swammer. Um, where'd you come up with that? That's adorable. Um, I think I accidentally said it one time during a conversation and oh, I perfect. just thought, you know, I'm keeping that. That is absolutely what I am because I hate to say the word I was mm -hmm. because it is still a part of who I am and is a huge foundational piece of my life and, and where I am now. So I said, I am a swimmer. Incredible. See, I knew we were going to have an absolute blast. This is going to be so much fun. I'm excited to talk to you about your swimming career. I'm excited to talk to you about your, your coaching and helping athletes because I think that's an incredible, incredible endeavor. And I mean, there's only more and more athletes every day, right? So more and more people you get to help. But Lauren, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Oh, God. Okay, so my story began by an accident, quite honestly. Um, it actually starts when my dad was very young and when he almost drowned uh, in a swimming pool. And then when he became a dad, he said, uh, my daughters just have to know how to swim as a life skill. And I started swimming when I was five, when my older two sisters were already swimming and my mom just needed something to do with me because she said, you asked for way too much money and needed too many snacks, so I needed to divert your energy somewhere else. I don't consciously remember falling in love with a sport, but I n don't also remember never loving it, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I... I don't... I, you know, like the, that kind of that instance in life where you just find the thing you were meant to do. Like I was just meant to be a swimmer and I just loved being in the pool, whether it was for recreation or whether it was because I was in practice. I love it. And then I just found my tribe and my community among other athletes. And even now as a swimmer versus a swimmer, I still find my tribe in athletes and talking sports. And, you know, my husband is very much into sport. He's a very athletic person and knows so much about sports. And that was something that we just bonded over and still bond over. And now I watch everything from swimming to football, to basketball, to golf, to NASCAR, to, I mean, you fill in the blank. I love it because Watching any competition brings back all of the feels that I felt every time I was staring at a black line swimming up and down the pool. And that was that I was always on top of the world, despite how painful it may have been at the time. <laughs> 
Yeah, I hear those. Uh, sometimes they get a little long, and they're too much fun. But kudos and congratulations to you. I'm curious, what is it? What is it about the athlete that you, not I guess, connect with so much personally? But why do you connect with so many athletes externally? It's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. I think it's because I understand what they're going through. And, and not like in great detail, right? But more about like I have respect for the journey that they've taken to get there. I, I empathize with the giving everything of themselves to get to the point where they are. It's almost as if I can feel their blood, sweat, and tears that they've given and just connect it to my own. And there's just this, I have such awe. I'm, I, I'm like, I'm awe inspired by athletes because of just the variety of talent that the millions have and watching that come to life and watching them in the middle of a race or competition, whatever the sport may be, give it everything and see the end result and you know, if it wasn't a great performance, feel that. If it was a great performance, I feel that too. I just have such an appreciation for the journey that it takes to get to where any athlete goes. I think that that's one of the fun parts, right? You were talking about getting to watch sports and getting to watch competition, right? And I mean, I don't know what that's like. I played JV baseball for a year. Like, shout out to me, right? So like, I have no <laughs> idea what you went through or how it worked. And and, you know, you don't really know how, and exact, as you said, you don't know in grave detail how Clay Thompson has now come back from a uh, torn ACL, a ruptured Achilles, and now he's out in the finals, probably going to go off tonight. We're recording this as of game six. Uh, I have a ticket on the Warriors, so let's go Warriors. But, <laughs> like, understanding that and seeing that is also what brings a lot of happiness to me as well, right? Like, you can see when someone's on, it is so cool to watch. I don't care the sport, right? Like, I have no idea how, like, I watch every single playoff hockey game. Do I really know what's going on? Like, no. But can I see incredible things happen in front of my eyes and be like, wow, that was amazing? Every single minute, and I love every second of it, right? And, and, and as you, like, at that personal level of knowing what other athletes are going through as you did because you were at such a higher level, again, Division One athlete, that, that has to make that connection so much stronger for, to the guys on TV, which I think, guys and girls obviously on TV, which I think people lose sight of, right? Like, it is so hard to do what they do. And because we see it on a nightly basis, it's like, oh, why didn't you make that shot? Or, like, well, why didn't you do that extra triple flip or whatever? But, like, <laughs> we're just sitting on our couch eating popcorn, right? <laughs> it's just like they're, they're doing this for our entertainment, and we appreciate that. But I think we lose sight of just how unbelievably incredible it is what these athletes are doing. Yeah, and I was talking to somebody um, earlier this year uh, around the time of the NCAA tournament, right? Okay. And, you know, just the, just the connection that that kind of event brings to even friends and families, right? You know, if you're rallying behind a team or, you know, or you're among a friends group and you've got rival teams going, like, there is just something about, the, about sports that brings us together. And yes, it, it is entertaining. And, you know, I, and being a former athlete, particularly a division one in the NCAA, I have my thoughts on the NCAA that we can talk about that another time, mm. but 
you know, being able to bring all that together, broadcast it. And I think that any human can connect to that performance because, you know, performance is performance is performance, whether it's in, on the field, on stage, you know, whatever, take your talent and put it anywhere, right? We can all connect to the performance of it. But then, yes, if you've been an athlete and you've, you've well, grand, obviously I've never played in the NCAA tournament, but I can appreciate the nerves, the anxiety, the excitement, the, you know, being on a stage. And that's what really brings it together. And that's what I love about sports too, is it can be so connecting, even if you have rival teams, because there can be some fun in that too. Because at the end of the day, if you are a fan, your life isn't affected by whether your team wins or loses. I mean, yes, it can affect you for a little bit, um, but you know, in the grand scheme of life, it doesn't affect you, but it's so fun to be pulled into the competition of it all and to feel some of that on some level. And that's why I think sports brings such a phenomenal dynamic to our society is that we can kind of let go for a little bit and watch these humans bring their talent to the surface and just be like, holy crap, they're incredible. <laughs> I love every second of it. Uh, I am a Mets fan too, by the way. So actually, it does affect my life to the negative constantly. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll leave that there. But what was it like when you were in front of people on that stage? Like, how how much did you relish in that and and get to have those experiences, right? At the conference championships and all the like. Yeah, you know, I was actually just thinking about this the other day, and I don't know that I ever felt. Like I was on stage. The people that I wanted to perform for were my parents. Um, and, you know, I always say this. My parents were the greatest supporters on the planet. First of all, neither of them could swim, uh, you know, going back to what my dad's story. Yep. Um, but not, neither of them were ever athletes. So there was, there was no relation, right? They were just parents supporting kids. Uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to take that lightly. They were phenomenal people. But um, my parents never pressured me to do anything. They never pressured me to win, get a certain time, go a certain pace. Half the time, they had no idea what any of it meant. They're like, what, what was your time again? What is, it? is that a good time? You know, sort of thing. Um, so it was always competing for my parents. And it was as if my parents were the only two people in the stands that I ever really saw. And then the other people that I uh, swam for were my teammates, right? You know, swimming is one of those sports where, yes, it is an individual sport with a team dynamic to it. But when you dive in that water, you're competing, yes, against the seven other people in the pool, but what you're really competing against is the clock and yourself, right? And, and, and that's where I think all of my attention really was, the clock and me. And I didn't necessarily like, equate it to this bigger stage, though it was there. And you know, I think back on that and that is kind of the different dynamic of swimming. It wasn't kind of an NCAA championship where the literally entire nation is watching you. You know, they're swim meets, they're small swim meets, and the only time swimming is really put on stage is now when the world championship's about to start, um, but then the Olympics as well. So, you know, for a swimming standpoint, I didn't necessarily take it to that level, but my stage was really immediately the clock and myself and then my teammates and then my parents. And so you practiced and swam, swummed, maybe, we'll use that one, uh, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, right? You said you started at five, and, you know, again, like, my wife was a swimmer in high school, and I saw the amount of time, effort, and energy she put into it. You obviously went, took it to the 
very highest uh, level with uh, uh, right outside of the Olympics, as you said, at Division One collegiate athletes. That's that's absolutely incredible. Kudos and congratulations oh, if you. anyone hasn't said that to you yet today. Thank you. What was it then like after 15 years, 16 years, 20 years, however long it was? Um, what was it then like when it's kind of just done? Yeah. So I will, at the time, I didn't realize the effect. I didn't realize the impact. Um, my very last meet was terrible. Oh, when no. I say terrible, I mean terrible. And, um, I mean, I swam okay. It wasn't the worst that I've ever swum, but it was my last meet. And I, in my mind, it was my last meet is going to be the culmination of my entire career. I'm going to swim the fastest I ever had. And that didn't happen. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I had self-sabotaged myself the entire, my, my entire senior year because I didn't realize until literally two years ago, so 17 years after I stopped swimming, that I was unconsciously mourning the loss of that the entire year, right? Because from the age of five until I was 22, the only thing I knew was chlorinated water for anywhere mm -hmm. from two hours a day to five hours a day. And it was my happy place. It was the place where I felt most Lauren. And um, when I finished my last race, which was the mile, I was a distance swimmer. So I swam the mile and it was not my greatest race. And I had my cap and goggles in my hand and I was like, well, that's over. And I just jokingly threw it behind my uh, shoulder and just so happened they landed in the garbage. So I was like, oh, well, that's fitting. Um, and then, you know, once it's done, it's done. And that's that's part of the challenge of being an athlete is that you know, all of your focus is on your last competition, knowing it's your last competition. And you're so focused on performing to the utmost you ever have that you don't realize there's something on the other side and that something is nothing, right? You no longer have that anymore. And what I always talk about, it's like climbing Everest and then falling right off. There is no gradual decline to get down back to the bottom. You just fall off the damn cliff and that's the end of it. And I was so bummed and I'll say a little bit depressed about my last performance that I didn't realize how hard and painful the transition really was. And what I do remember is it was over and I said to myself, well, I'm never gonna swim again. That was terrible. And I took up running almost unconsciously to fill the void. Running sucks. <laughs> I mean, it's, it has its moments. I will say that. Whatever you say, Lauren. No, I think it's, it's very important. I don't mean to make light of the situation. Like it is, it's such a difficult thing for athletes, right? Where it's, especially in a sport like swimming, Right in basketball and football, like there is baseball, right? You know the the major, let's call them the major sports. There is that opportunity to go and make real money, even if it's, even if it's you know at some you know independent minor league baseball team, right? Like those guys make enough money to live their lives. Like it's not you know they're not making millions of dollars, but they can go and play their sport and enjoy it and enjoy the thing as you said that made them what they felt like was the most them, which is kind of a problem when you say it out loud, right? Okay, cool. We'll get to that in a little mm -hmm. bit. But I, I think it's 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 very difficult in sports like field hockey, in swimming, in 
fencing and volleyball and you know a lot of these sports where there are some places around the world that you can absolutely go and play and make money but that's in case if you want to go to Russia and play volleyball, you'll make a bunch of money, but you're moving to Russia to play volleyball. And like that's really difficult for people, and it's not the easiest life choice to make. And many people just say, no, I'm good. I'd you know, rather stay here with my friends and family and you know, start the quote-unquote rest of my life, mm -hmm. right? We'll talk about that in a little bit too. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious like how, you know, as you said, like you facetiously threw them over your shoulder. They just so happened to land in the trash can, right? Your, your cap and goggles. But like when, as you say, it took you 17 years to realize, like, damn, like I was that whole year, kind of wish it was the, what's the, uh, is that Dr. Seuss, uh, don't be sad that it happens, or don't, don't be sad, smile that it happens, something like something that, like that. It, yeah. Yeah. something <laughs> like that. Like how, why did it take so long? Well, I think it goes back to what you were saying of like, you know, swimming doesn't have that next step unless, of course, you're Katie Ledecky or Michael Phelps, right? You know, and swimming is is very competitive like any sport and you know they to make it to the olympics you have to be literally the top two in the country and in some in cases like a michael phelps and a katie ledecky that dominate multiple events it's like okay you then have to be second you, you don't even have a chance to be first right and at the time so i graduated in early 2000s from college and at the time michael phelps was just kind of coming on the scene there weren't like I mean, other than Summer Sanders and Janet Evans, there weren't many professional swimmers. And again, and that was also at a time when the Olympics, you couldn't be professional. You had to be an amateur, right? If anybody remembers that, you couldn't be a professional athlete. You had to be an amateur. And that has since recently changed in, I don't even remember, but late 20th century, early 21st century, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, so I knew that it was coming to an end. And I had no other choice. And, and I think it was just, I don't know. I wasn't conscious enough at the time to be like, oh my God, it's coming to an end. It was just this unconscious morning of, oh my God, it's coming to an end and I have no other choice. I cannot do anything else. And since the moment I was, I don't know, seven or eight, I knew I was going to swim in college, right? That I, like, there was no, there was never any question in my mind. And I didn't realize at that time either how small of a percentage of people actually make it to D1 athletics. In my mind, it was like I was surrounded by a lot of good swimmers and they all just went to college and went to D1 schools. So I was like, okay, that's, that's what you do. And I just don't know that I realized how big of an impact the experience really had on me and when it was all over because I had such a terrible meet I didn't want to think about it it was like oh my god like you know, whatever it's I, I, it's out of my mind it's over I can't do anything about it I can't change it and so I just launched myself into quote-unquote the rest of my life without giving myself any time to truly cry and mourn over a career that I loved. Yeah, especially because you considered it such a big part of your life, or not a, not just a big part of your life. That's when you were the most you, right? Using yeah. your own words. How how do you like? What do you like? Yeah, you went on to the rest of your life, and as you said, it took a long time to finally come to come to terms. I guess we could say with it. What does the how how does starting the rest of your life look like? What what do you even 
do at that point? Like, how does it, do you still, did you still swim for exercise? As you well, actually you said you took up running mm -hmm. again, don't really get that, but teach his own. Like, how do you, how do you then start that transition without any help, without any understanding? This is early 2000s. The internet barely even exists. Right. right. So like, how, how do you, how do you even get to, all right, well, like, let's, let's move on. Yeah. Well, I'm going to date myself. Facebook wasn't even a thing when I graduated college. So that's just the internet. That's just the internet. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> Well, at the time, I had no idea, to be quite honest. Um, you know, part of my story, too, is that um, I was really focused. I was a political science major, so I was really focused on going to law school. And so for me, that's what I dove into. Um, use my swimming analogy, right? So swimming was over. It's like, okay, I'm going to law school. Well, then uh, major red flag, I didn't get into law school. And Yikes. yes, it wasn't even close. And I look back and I... I wasn't able to admit that for a really long time. Of all the close people around me, excluding my family who knew the truth, they would ask, well, why aren't you going to law school? And it was, well, I just found that it wasn't for me and I didn't want to spend that much money on a career I wasn't really into. No, I didn't get into the damn school and I, you know, there was nothing I could do. And I felt like the biggest loser on the planet. And that was probably one of the biggest dips in my life of, wait a minute. So I, you know, I kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth of, I didn't realize what a big deal of being a D1 college athlete meant. And then I come out, it's all over. I didn't have a great meet. I didn't get into law school. And then I felt like the biggest failure on the planet. And I had no idea how to get myself out of it. I mean, sure, I failed before in my life, but I failed in an environment that I knew a lot about. And here I was failing in an environment I knew nothing about. You know, and before, when I was still swimming and something happened in school or something happened in my personal life, if things weren't going well over there, didn't matter. I could, I could dive in that pool, stare at a black line for two and a half hours and forget my troubles. And it helped, you know, rewire my brain. It's the physical movement of rewiring my brain and not having to worry about it. Well, I had to worry about it because I didn't have swimming left. And so to answer the question of how did I do it, I didn't do it very well. I can guarantee you that. Um, I just kind of muddled my way through. I cried a lot. I kept to myself a lot. And in full transparency, I ate and drank a lot. <laughs> I like eating and drinking. <laughs> I mean, as long as you're a good time right now, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, I think that it's, it's really important for people to understand like how difficult this type of transition is, right? Because nobody, yeah, again, I played up to JV baseball. Big deal. All right. When I was 15, I kind of stopped playing baseball. And then when I was 18, I joined like a beer league softball team. And hey, now I kind of get my fix, right? And I'm still like occasionally every, every like year or two, I hop on a team and hang out and have some fun. It's like, yeah, baseball's fun. Like, this is cool. Um, it's a lot different when you're, as you, as you say, like you work for 25 hours a week, if not more staring at that black line. And then the, you know, what are you going to do for another, like, what are you doing for 25 hours, Lauren? Like, it's <laughs> not easy time to fill. Like not that many people have hobbies and let alone not that many people have hobbies that can fill up 25 hours a week. Now, obviously you're going to go get a job you're going to do some other stuff, but if you just go home and I think were you still renting Blockbuster at this time? Like you go home, you have to go get the movie, you go out, you get the Chinese food, maybe a bottle of red, maybe a bottle of white. Um, but like how now that 
the internet exists and people like you exist. How, when, I guess, before we get to that, when did like this revelation of athletes or, or people that are around athletes realize that this is such a hard transition that the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people, they need help in this transition because it is such a big transition, right? Even if you're a D2 athlete, a D3 athlete, yeah, you understand you're most likely not going you know, anywhere past collegiate, but it still sucks when it's over. So mm-hmm. when, when did that like societal understanding come about and said, hey, like, we should probably do something about this for this massive group of people who are very, very high performance and can probably be a, a significant positive on our society. Like, let's help them out so they don't just kind of, you know, not to use a, a, a wallow and just kind of sit there and, and just be sad and depressed. Like, let's lift them up and help them do great things in other areas. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to make a bold statement, and I would say societally – Right. I don't know if that's a word. That's a word. Um, yeah. oh, I don't. Is a word. <laughs> I don't know that societally we've reached that mark. And here's the reason why. So I think within the athletic circles we have, I think beyond that we have not. And I'll, and I'll give you a little bit of insight there. So um, and we'll get into this part of the story later. But I happened upon the uh, documentary, The Weight of Gold. So it, mm-hmm. it was created. I don't know if anybody uh, if you know, but. It was the eye-opening moment for me. So I watched it last summer uh, after the Olympics, I believe. And somebody suggested it to me. They're like, have you heard it or seen it? I was like, no. And so I found it on HBO Max, and uh, I sat there and cried through the whole thing. And it was the moment, if anybody who hasn't seen it, it's a documentary led by Michael Phelps, uh, as everybody knows, that he is on the very mental side of sport and is a big advocate for people getting mental health and, and you know, those particularly among athletes. And it chronicles, I don't know, maybe eight to ten different uh, Olympic athletes like Apollo Ono, Sean White, who at the time was retired, but as we know, went, did in the 22 Olympics, uh, a couple different figure skaters whose names are escaping me, a skeleton um, player athlete athlete thank you um and a bobsledder and what was so eye-opening to me and this was my big aha moment of when i realized i never processed my transition from sport is that we have these olympians who have won multiple gold medals telling the world there is nothing for us as olympians the the utmost pinnacle for most sports right um, there's nothing for us when we transition out. And I thought, what? <laughs> you guys are, are showcased as America's sweethearts every four years. And when you come out of that, your actual career where you, you potentially are getting paid for this and then you're receiving money for winning medals for America, you have nothing. I have nothing. You have nothing? How is this possible? And then as I dove deeper into and started reconnecting in the athletic space and reconnecting with former athletes, all of our stories are the same. That that transition is so incredibly hard. And that moment of feeling like I was a complete and utter loser once swimming was over and I didn't get into law school, I was like, oh my God, had I known most 99.9% of the athletes felt the same thing that I did. That experience would have been so different for me. 
And that is part of the reason why I do what I do, because now I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is more widespread than just Lauren Ammon. You know, she isn't the only one who struggled with going from 17 years of swimming to not 17 years or just, you know, not swimming at all. And it was, it was the biggest eye opener and the biggest driver of there is opportunity within the athletic space and coming out of the athletic space to support athletes in a completely different way than what we've been doing. And how much of that do you think comes down to, and I kind of teased it before, of athletes tying their entire lives, their entire personalities to their sport, right? They're, they're people. They do other things. They might not feel like they do other things. They might not feel like they're interested in other things. But how, how, how much more difficult does that make it when, yeah, you're spending a lot of time doing this, but then you're also, as you said, this is when I'm the most me. This is, this is my life. You know, I've talked to rowers. I've talked to runners, like cyclists, literally everybody under the gamut. And everyone always says, like, this is me. Like, I am a cyclist. Like, oh, like, I don't think so. Like, you're you. Like, there's other things. Like, how, how difficult is it to detach that from the athlete, the sport from the athlete and vice versa? I, it's exceedingly difficult. And, and it, because it's this uncount, well, most, most athletes start be for the love of the sport, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's that connection point and that, that moment of, oh my God, like I'm one, I'm good at something. Two, I find success here, right? And, and, you know, success and talent are intoxicating, <laughs> simply put, right? You know, you find success. You're like, oh my God, I can actually beat people in the water. Holy, holy crap. Like, I didn't know this was possible in me. And you get so tied to that. And it's, it's this almost unconscious bond and true love. And so you, you, you pour yourself into it to get the most out of it. And it's this, you just start blurring the lines of Lauren as a human versus Lauren as a swimmer. And because it feels so good in that space to win, and winning doesn't mean gold medals. I mean, most of my winning actually came in practice. And by that, I mean, I mean, I found so much damn success in practice and could reach paces that, you know, became exceedingly difficult in uh, perform, you know, competitions. We can talk about that too. But that's where it was just so intoxicating just to see what you were capable of. And because the platform is sport, that you're starting to see all your potential. It just becomes so interwoven into who you are and you almost don't even realize it, right? I didn't realize it until it was all over and I was like, wait a minute, that's all I knew. That's all I know. That's all I love. And because growing up too, your whole lens is through that of like, I'm not going to go to this dance because I have practice or I'm not going to go to this dance because a week later is my biggest competition. I don't want to be too tired. I don't want to have too much fun and take a little bit too much energy from, you know, my race. And, you know, because we pour all of our talent and potential into the platform, it's hard to remove it and it's hard to see anything different. And so that's what makes it so exceedingly difficult is because you just get like, it just is like, it just becomes you and you become it. It is very difficult. I mean, and I appreciate you being so open and honest. These are, again, you know, very enjoyable conversations. I don't know if that's, like, the best word to use for me, but it's nice to hear and understand what other people are going through because, hey, if only one other athlete hears this, that, then I did my goal. I was, I was able to put you in front of somebody else, right? That's my goal. So talk to me, talk to us 
a little bit about exactly what you're doing, performance reimagined, and how you're working with athletes. You're working with former athletes, swimmers. Sorry, that one's just too good. Um, <laughs> like, what what are you doing now, and how are you helping these people that were you? Yeah. Well, so it's a whole combination of things, right? It's the combination of my experiences. So, you know, becoming, you know, they say it takes 5,000, is it 5,000 hours? 10,000 10, hours. 10,000 hours to become an expert in something, okay? Check, an expert in being an athlete, right? Um, and then an expert in being a professional and spending, you know, 15 years in corporate America uh, and then getting right, some... Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Be, getting um, a certification, uh, particularly in professional coaching. So all of these experiences together, um, and then really, you know, true education behind these kinds of things. But what what became readily apparent to me, and, and here's why I started doing it, right? So I started my coaching practice really focused on leadership development and career transition because that was my career, right, in HR. Like, that's what I was used to. Um, and then as I was watching the Summer Olympics in 2021, uh, it was the night that Simone Biles removed herself from competition. And it was the same night that Katie Ledecky won gold in the 1500 meter freestyle, but had a very disappointing swim. And minutes later, Michael Phelps came on. Uh, he was being interviewed by Mike Tirico on the NBC telecast. And they were talking about the mental health, as mental health aspect of sport. And Michael Phelps said something that I will forever remember. Uh, competing at this level is overwhelming. We just want someone to talk to. We just want someone who listens and allows us to be vulnerable and doesn't want to fix us. And I sat in my chair watching, crying, because those words hit so deep of finding resources to support every other aspect of performance that athletes either don't have access to or don't know exist. And so that's why I do what I do. And, you know, our, our, our company, I don't want to call it a motto, but what we talk about is, you know, we focus on the human inside of the sport versus just the athlete who plays it. And so part of that mission is to start creating a healthy balance between who the person is and the athlete that they're becoming. And we found ourselves in the high school aged athlete space, um, kind of accidentally, and really rallied behind the mission of working with developing athletes, those specifically who have their sights on something bigger than high school, who whose minds are in the most formative years of their lives and are the most malleable most trainable because of where they are in their own human development to support them in recognizing that performance is more than just the wins, the losses, the perfection versus the failure, all of those things to help them realize that performance is more than your body. It's about your heart, your mind, your soul, your environment, and your relationship in addition to your body and supporting them in realizing that there is so much more to who they are. It's just that sport is the platform that found them that allowed them to be the most them. That's awesome. I mean, I think it's really important. And I think it's interesting that you work with, as you said, kind of accidentally work with high school athletes. Now, all of that sounds great on a piece of paper or in a, on a PowerPoint presentation. Right? Mm -hmm. It all sounds incredible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How do you actually do that? And especially working with friggin' 14 and 15 year olds, like I was so dumb at 15. 
Right. Probably wouldn't have understood anything you said. Like, and it wouldn't have made sense to me. So, like, how, how are you actually putting this into practice and helping these kids? Yeah, well, part of it is relating to them as athletes, right? So, and I'm, I'm going to use my life as an example, right? Other than my teammates, I wasn't surrounded by a ton of people. Uh, let me take a step back. Other than my teammates and coaches, I wasn't surrounded by a lot of people who were former athletes. And so a lot of the support I was given, while great, was not necessarily through the lens of something I could relate to. And it goes back to the very beginning of the conversation of like my energy around former athletes, my energy around athletes is almost unquantifiable. And so part of it is really relating to what they're going through. You know, I, I also, a part of our process too is to work with their parents because it's really important uh, for me as the founder, and, and this kind of relates back to my corporate days as well, so that an athlete, the journey of an athlete can be lonely. Uh, a lot of that can be self-induced, and that's part of what we talk about with them too. Um, but, you know, their greatest support system, particularly at 13 through 18, is their coach and their parents. So we work with the athlete, but we also make a very conscious effort to bring in their coach and their parent to reinforce what we're talking about so that they can, they can do that. So that's part of it is being able to relate to them by being a former athlete. And I channel Michael Phelps' words of, we just want someone to talk to. We just want someone who listens and allows us to be vulnerable and doesn't want to fix us. Because I know for, speaking from my own experience of, well, why don't you try this? Or, you know, there can be language around an athlete of that you're broken. You know, particularly if you've got some doubts and you, your, your, your confidence is shaken and you, you know, you've had these bad performances, you're not broken. You're human. <laughs> Humans are not machines. And even machines aren't designed to, you know, be perfect. Well, they're designed to be perfect all the time, but they're not. And so, you know, it's really a matter of just connecting with them as a human and saying what you're going through is, one, perfectly okay, and oh, by the way, it's perfectly normal. And creating an environment where they feel supported as a human being and reminded that their experience isn't unique, and, and that's not to diminish what they're going through, but to create a sense of community that there are millions of athletes before you there are millions of athletes now, and there will be millions of athletes after you who experience very similar things. So to create a sense of connection and relation to all other athletes on the planet and to support them through that. So that's what I channel. It's my experience you know, in channeling, hey, I didn't have a lot of those resources when I was younger, and also channeling that concept of just having someone to talk to and listen to. And you're right. I mean, it is a forming mind among teenagers. And I just work, I listen to them and I just shift and, you know, we shift in our um, either one-on-one -on -one coaching or group to fit where they are. With teenagers in particular, right? Like that has to make it so much more difficult, but so much more rewarding because you're, you're speaking to them as an athlete, right? You're speaking to them as a human who is also happens to be an athlete and you're speaking to them about all these things. But like we all know high school was the worse right like just everything else it was just like does my t-shirt look okay it's like 
who the hell cares? Now at 30, I couldn't give a shit less, right? Like, and it doesn't matter, but I can remember having very specific, vivid memories of being like, oh my God, like, what if, what if like my, my zipper is just a little too high and not a little too low? It's like, well, okay. Like, it doesn't matter now. And like, I'm sure you can see and feel that as well as that while you are helping them understand this athletic piece, you're probably helping them significantly if, you know, if not as much, potentially even more with just the rest of their terrible, terrible lives that high school is. Yeah. And that's the secret. And, you know, I'll unleash that. Sorry, I didn't mean to spill the beans. No, that's okay. That's the beauty part of it is that, you know, we're, we're working with them to, to be the best human they could possibly be. Our entry point is just athletics, right? And that's the relation point. And that's where we get them to start paying attention. But everything we talk about can be translated to the outside non-athletic world. And that's where we start to have those preemptive conversations. You know, what I talk about is, you know, we, you know, we as a company look at the whole athletic life cycle of like, you know, when you start out, then you find the love of the sport, then you really put your heart and soul into it. Now you're in high school looking through college. And then of course you go through college and or beyond, and then you've got the transition, right? So we, we talk about that whole thing. And what we talk about as a company is that, you know, we're, our, our our niche is kind of that high school where your formative years is. So then not, not only are we helping you now in where you are in terms of on the field and off the field, but our goal is to really help ease that transition way later down the line. Once we're giving you awareness that it's coming, even though you know it's coming, but unconsciously you're just not tied to it. Um, or consciously you're not tied to it. Um, and, and to support them in, in figuring out who they are as a human and start building in those things of, yes, you are a soccer player, you are a softball player, but you are also a really talented speaker and or a really talented uh, potential engineer, right? I mean, just like looking at their um, skills and stuff. But what we also do to help them realize that is to tie it to what they're doing on the field because that's where they relate and helping them realize you are developing skills that are highly sought after, highly useful. Right now, you can only see them through the lens of sport. We help you see it through the lens of, you know, humanity. Broader. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what I was alluding to earlier, right? Like, athletes are extremely coveted in the business world, right? Like, they under, drive tenacity, uh, discipline, like all these things that you learn through sports. Yeah, I learned it in sports, but again, you took it to the nth degree being a division one athlete. There are so many other athletes. I remember I, you know, I went to business school at Rutgers and they would always, someone every like every three weeks, someone would come in and be like, yeah, we love hiring athletes because essentially when we tell them to do something, they do it and they do it as hard and as best as they possibly can because they're competitive. And you know, all these incredible attributes you get from sports, and it's nice to, again, lay that foundation and groundwork for these kids, literally, their kids. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that it really does get through their thick skulls, but then also have them understand that, yes, like you have to always kind of remember this because it's very easy to forget something in a week, in two weeks, in four years, right? Like, How do you make sure that that's not just like laying the foundation, but really cementing that in? Yeah. Well, you bring you brought up a couple of things, and I wanted to touch on I'll, if we can come back to the whole athletes are Please. told what to do, and then um, yeah, yeah, they yeah. fall Thanks. through. But let's come to that. This back is to your that. Show. <laughs> but um, 
you know, what's really important for me when I founded the organization was to mimic uh, the athletic space, right? So when I always, when we bring in new clients or we have news or we partner with schools or we partner with teams, you are now part of the performance reimagined team, right? This isn't just a one-time flash in the pan kind of experience or experiment or, you know, engagement, whatever E word you want to use. Um, you are part of it. And so we are designing it in a way that we will remain with these athletes as long as they'll have us, right? And creating experiences that well beyond the classroom or whatever, um, uh, what's the word, venue we have and we're interacting with them, that we are with them and that they always have a place here with us. And so as we grow and expand, it is a matter of building out that amazing team experience, right? So in the business world, you talk about like a client experience or a customer experience, right? This is more about a team experience or a teammate experience. And, you know, as they're going through high school, you know, if they're a freshman right now, we build in um, checkpoints with them so that, hey, we're with them until they're seniors or maybe even beyond. And if they're seniors right now coming into our space, how do we stick with them in college? And that's really intentional for us. You know, it could be something simple as uh, I'm a big relationship person. I didn't realize that either in corporate America, um, which is crazy because obviously I had teammates on my entire life, but a whole different story for a whole different day. But, um, you know, I'm still connected to a lot of the teammates that I had. And so we're mimicking that as a part of the organization so that once they're in with us, you know, it can be something as simple as text. Like if I get their, their cell phones, right, I'll, I'll send them text like, hey, how are you doing today? Right? And it, it may have nothing to do with sports. It's a matter of there is someone there with you always being your cheerleader, always supporting you through what you're going through. Even if I don't completely understand it, I can empathize with the ebbs and flows of athletics. I can empathize with the peaks and valleys of athletics. And just to have them and creating that we're always there with you. We're always there to support and allow you to feel vulnerable. And we're never here to fix you because you're not broken. What about the, the, you bring up the teammate experience. You've talked about community. You've talked about tribe. You've talked about group sessions. Mm -hmm. How much does that help when it's not just a one-on-one? -on -one, it's a one-on-many and then you're gone and it's just the many to themselves. So maybe they can be even more honest, right? Like what, how much does that help, especially with young kids? to be able to just give them that opportunity to be able to grow and succeed and fail with their literal peers. Yeah. Personally, I think it's hugely important and I think it adds to the experience and that's why we intentionally built into it. So when, when I first kind of like had this idea of all oh, we'll work with athletes, that was my first thought of, Oh, we'll work one-on-one. -on -one. We'll build those um, great connections and relationships. And then I thought, well, wait a minute that actually is very different than the athletic world where there is a team, there is a space. And then I thought back to my experiences of, you know, there are times when I can be sitting in a group and someone says something and I'll think, oh God, I didn't even see it that way, right? And you start to build your own learning through someone else's point of view. And I think that's really important. You know, I think I'm, I'm just turned 40, so I'm a decade older than you, but in our lives, you know, we didn't necessarily have the, the kind of social media and all those things now that, that exists at least to the level now, right? And what I, what I see is happening is they're being separated from one another because of these kinds of the, the way that society is designed right now, in particular after the pandemic. 
Um, and as we were diving into this and hearing more and more about the challenges that the pandemic in and of itself created. So I'll give you an example. I was talking to a coach or an AD, I can't remember. And he, oh, it was an AD. And he was mentioning that um, following the pandemic, some of the things that were taken away from these athletes were those small um, in-between moments. So things like riding to a competition together, having team dinners, having team fun days or whatever the case may be. And I thought, oh my God, I didn't even think about that. All I was focused on during the pandemic of thinking about the athletes, because I, I even literally sat in my house and I said to my husband, if someone had told me that I couldn't swim for weeks on end, I literally would have hurt someone or, or something, right? I didn't even make the connection that even some of those small touch points were taken away from these athletes. And so as I started thinking through this and working with the team to say, oh, it's going to be really important that it is group. It is team. We create that sense of community and camaraderie and teamwork, not only to make up for what they lost in the pandemic, but to reintroduce that sense of connection and that sense of there are millions of athletes going through the same thing you are. And it's, there's value in hearing other experiences so that you can feel validated and acknowledged that your experience is just as meaningful. And then hopefully be able to take that to others, right? Yes. And then be able to expand that and you know have conversations with people that are not within this group. That yeah. They may meet in other places when they go to college, right? If they're still, you know, in those capacities. So I think it's it's very important, and it's it's you're doing great work. Oh, thank you're you. doing very important work, and I think you know the more the more the better. So I think that part is awesome. So Lauren, this has been absolutely fantastic. Was this like the quickest fifty minutes of your life? Yes. Easily, right? Yes. Because this was this was a fast one. I had an absolute <laughs> blast. So I sincerely appreciate it. Where can we find more information about you, your business? Uh, the rebrand, everything. Yeah. So yeah, we talked about that. So right now, the um, it, my the company was Lauren Ammon Coaching, right? And that started out more on kind of that individual one-on-one. A little conceited. I know, you? right? And and you know what's really funny? Uh, there's a really funny I'm story. Kidding. I'm kidding. Of course, I'm kidding. And I know you. I know you are. But that's what I felt. Um, and then we had this concept of you know we talk about performance. We talk about looking at performance in a different way. And so that's where we came up with performance mm-hmm. reimagined. And that's where we're going Love through it. this rebranding. So right now. It is www.laurenammon.com, but it will be transitioning to performancereimagined.com. And anybody who visits Lauren Ammon obviously will be redirected back to Performance Reimagined. But um, there, you can find us there. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram a lot as well. So um, part of it for me is I want these athletes to understand and get to know me as a, as a one, former athlete, uh, as a human, but also as a teammate or a part of their team, right? And, you know, uh, we jokingly call me the head coach. Uh, so to really kind of reiterate that that concept that this is a team and it's not just a business working with them. It truly is human to human interaction and athlete to athlete understanding and empathy. I love it. That is absolutely fantastic. Lauren Ammon, collegiate swimmer at <laughs> Eastern Michigan Division One. uh, founder of Performance Reimagined. Lauren, I appreciate your time. I appreciate everyone's time listening. It's the only thing we don't get more of, so I appreciate sincerely you giving me a lot of yours today. But other than that, this has been absolutely fantastic. I appreciate everyone. I use that word a lot, but I sincerely do mean it. So thank you, everybody. And uh, yeah, other than that, hope everyone has a great day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you.